Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We ask that you will breathe upon it, challenge us, uh, let it break yokes and lift burdens, let it shine a light on our paths, and do more, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Right after uh, Easter, we kind of found ourselves in a series where we began to learn life lessons from a lot of those who were actors in the drama that unfolded that led to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And some of them were people that we probably have never looked at in the detailed way that we did. So uh, we looked at um, the African man, Simon, that carried Jesus' cross. Uh, up to Golgotha, and what could we learn from him? Um, and then we looked at the two robbers. How many remember the two robbers? The, 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 the repentant robber and the unrepentant one. How many remember that? Yeah, only two people remember that in here. Please online, how many remember that? Go on, put in the chat online that you remember. I think I'm going to preach to you guys online and forget these guys in here because there's no response coming in here. How many remember Joseph of Arimathea? Yeah. Oh, that's a good response. Good response. Well, today we're going to take a look at the man who betrayed Jesus. Um, The man who betrayed Jesus, if you want a title for the message. Um, This is easily the most um, infamous character in the whole drama. Um, You know, you don't see anyone call their child Judas. Have you ever gone to a naming ceremony and they said, we are now about to dedicate Judas. And the interesting thing is that it's actually a very good name. It's the Greek version of the name Judah. Um, and, and as you know, Judah means God be praised. Um, some would say it means Jehovah leads. So it's a great name. And prior to Judas Iscariot, Iscariot was his surname, and it was, it was a name that came from where he was. He came from a place called Kerioth. And so he was called Judas Iscariot, Judas from Kerioth. Now, prior to Judas Iscariot, there were many great Judases, the regular guys in the Bible. But after Judas Iscariot, if you say you're naming your child Judas, even the pastor dedicating the child is going to have a problem dedicating Judas. And yet, it's a good name. It tells you how someone's character can spoil something that was good. It's actually a very sad story. It's very tragic. Uh, Here was someone who was one of the disciples, numbered amongst the apostles. Someone who had a a great life ahead of him, great opportunities before him. Someone who was privileged not just to walk with Jesus as, as as a disciple, but to also be appointed to the privileged position of being the treasurer of Jesus' of Jesus's ministry. I mean, Judas 
you know, it's kind of what uh, Pastor Lydie is to us here at Jesus House. Um, she looks after the money. He looks after the money. But then we look at the end of it and we see a wasted life, a life of opportunity that was lost, a, a life where we can conclude from what we understand that he has ended up in an eternity separated from God. The Gospels give us a close picture at the character of this man, Judas. We have an encounter with him that tells us a lot about him um, at a gathering where a woman who had been so touched by Jesus' ministry to her, she'd been delivered from bondage to the enemy, takes a, 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 a bottle of expensive ointment, costly oil of spikenard, and anoints his feet. And in an elaborate gesture of worship, wipes his feet with her hair. And the whole house, the Bible says, John the 12th chapter and the 3rd verse, was filled with the fragrance of the oil. It's actually a picture of worship. And we will, do, we will look at this uh, during the Pursuit of God conference. How you break your most expensive ointment and fill the heavens with the fragrance of your worship. And all the disciples saw it. And all the disciples must have been moved by it. But then we gather from verses 4 to 6 that Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, was not moved by this. Why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor. He, couldn't care, he didn't care for the poor. But because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. He was a thief, and yet he was the treasurer. He was nicking the Lord's money. He was, he was pilfering the money that people gave towards the ministry of Jesus. And eventually he ends up betraying Jesus for money, 30 pieces of silver. Matthew, Matthew 26 verses 14 to 16. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? He went himself. They didn't ask him. He went himself. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, his one focus was, I have to find an opportunity to be betray him. And he did that. The scene plays out itself in the Garden of Gethsemane. He leads them to him, points, points him out uh, in, the, in the crowd of followers and disciples, and they arrest him. But then the Bible tells us that he, he then becomes remorseful. After he has done this, he comes to himself, what have I done after they have, they have killed Jesus? And in Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5, the Bible says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, Jesus had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He knew all the time he was innocent. But he was so desperate for the money that he overlooked his innocence to get 30 pieces of silver. And then by that time, the people had got what they want. Look, look at the disparaging way they dealt with him. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it, sort yourself out. 
And then he threw the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. What can we learn from his life? Let's look at a few things. It's not exhaustive, but let's look at a few things. The first thing is something that surely God must be saying to us as a people because it was something that, was, that, that, that we started with, uh, with, with Simon of Cyrene, the African who carried the cross. It was something that we started with, with the two robbers. It was something that we started with, with Joseph of Arimathea. And what was that? It was that all these things that were happening had already been foretold and prophesied hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before. And what does that do? It, it confirms once more to us the authenticity of Scripture. That's what sets the Bible apart from every other religious book. Because the Bible authenticates itself. So when we read the Bible, let's understand that whilst we might be able to scan through in two hours or so, let's understand that some of what we're hearing that was said was said 700, 1,000, 1,200 years before. When there was no chance that anybody could conceptualize it. And sometimes even the people prophesying it didn't fully understand what they were prophesying. So when David prophesies in Psalms 41 verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It might have seemed like he was speaking about himself, but when there comes a prophetic fulfill fulfillment in Jesus' life, we suddenly know he was speaking prophetically about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then there's a scripture in Zechariah that if we had time, we would break down in terms of the prophetic fulfillment of that scripture. Zechariah, the 11th chapter, verses 11 to 13. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for, for, for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Now, he was speaking about the wages of the sin of the world that Christ was going to bear on himself. And, and he was likening it to the 30 pieces of silver. Very amazing prophetic word. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the porter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Again, symbolically, the same way he went to the ruling religious hierarchy and threw the 30 pieces of silver. Painting pictures of something that was to come hundreds of years ahead of when he was prophesied. So the first thing that we understand is that the Bible is authentic. It is the word of God. And that encourages us to know that we spend time to understand God by his word. We can't know God apart from his word. We can't become those that know their God and do great exploits just by attending church. Just by being good. Just by giving our tithes and our offerings. Just by singing songs. We know God because we get into the book in which he describes himself for our own benefit. 
He pours out himself into a book, gives it to us, and then puts the author of the book in us so that the author can explain what he has written to us and then sends us on a journey of discovery. But for us to, to fully maximize that journey of discovery, there must be application. There must be diligence. The church is how it is today because Christians are no longer diligent. The Bible puts before us the Berean Christians. And what is the testimony of the Berean Christians? Everything they heard, they went back to open the Bible and study what was said in the Bible. Why are people deceived today? People are deceived by charlatans who masquerade as men and women of God because the people don't know the word themselves. And so when the man says all kinds of, all kinds of madness, the people believe because they don't know the word. They don't have the word. They don't go and check what he said. Where is it in scripture? They don't use the, the benefit of having the author of the book living in them. So Jesus House, we challenge ourselves. Let us become people of the word. Let us read it, study it, meditate it, meditate on the word. Let us confess it and speak it. Let us become unshakable because we are rooted firmly in the word of God. Can someone say amen to that? The second thing uh, uh, is that the whole, the, 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 the account of, of Judas's life presents a graphic picture of what greed does to a person's life. He had greed in his heart. How else can you sell out your Lord and Savior for 30 pieces of silver? Judas, you walked with him. You, 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 you were hanging around him. He, he released gifts and powers into you. He entrusted you with a key part of his ministry. He ate with you. You saw his, the miracles. You heard his teachings. But yet you betrayed him. Judas, how could you do that? Because greed was in his heart. And you know, we can say, well, that's Judas's problem. We are not like that. Let's be careful. Because that spirit is very much around today. When we go into debt to live above our means, is fueled by greed. When we must have the latest phone, even if we go into an overdraft, is fueled by greed. When we are pulled to buy things that we don't need, because we are told that you don't put a deposit down, no interest, paying 40, in 40, 46 months, is often fueled by greed. When we will do anything for a designer label, when Ferragamo becomes a god, Hermes becomes a god, Incidentally, that's a Greek god. I'm not saying you shouldn't wear your H belts. I'm just saying that Hermes is a Greek god. Nike. When we'll do anything for any of those, for those things. The latest trainers. Why will, why will a young boy on the streets kill another boy for his trainers? That spirit has possessed his soul. So the life does not matter to get those trainers. If there is one idol... That the world that is, that is trying to take over the world and has created temples of worship like Amazon. Nothing against Amazon. They do a great job. 
But please buy what you need and buy what you have the money for. So Jesus puts it this way. Matthew 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What happened to Judas? He served mammon. He gave his life to mammon. He worshipped that idol. The result we see. Number three. This account tells us that proximity does not guarantee salvation. He was with him. He went to Jesus' house. I hope not. He listened to the sermons. He knew the songs. He could speak the Christianese language. He was in the religion. But his body was there, but his heart was not there. He saw all these things. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing, isn't it? That he was so close to Jesus. And yet he was not saved. Proximity does not guarantee salvation. Salvation comes from a confession of what is on our heart. That's why we say that Jesus must be Lord and Savior. In Judas' case, he wasn't Savior and he wasn't Lord. In some people's cases, he's Savior, but he's not yet Lord of all. And if you genuinely want to test Jesus' Lordship, test it over your finances. All those gods that want to rule in that area, they will react violently the moment you try to submit that area to God. Number four, the sin you don't deal with will eventually destroy a person. You know, one of the authors that kind of shaped my life um, is, a, is a gentleman called Frank Peretti. How many have read a Frank Peretti novel? Okay. Incidentally, we, 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 we're doing a survey and we found out that Jesus House people don't read. Okay. In the last month, how many have read a book? In here. Okay. All right, that's not bad. That's actually better than I thought. You've read a book, not the Bible. That's a, that's a given. You've read a book. Okay. This year, how many have read more than two books? Okay. That's actually better than we, we thought. Well done. The rest of you, they hid, they've hidden all the secrets of your success in the book. You're never going to find it if you don't read a book. And you know, it's made easier for us because if you can't read because of time constraints and stuff, you can get an audiobook. You can get, go on Audible. We are, we are changed by the information that we get. The secret to your success is buried in some book somewhere. So be led by the Spirit to read. Anyway, Frank Peretti shaped my life in the early stages. You know, brilliant writer. Um, what made me understand spiritual warfare were two books This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness once I read them, novels Frank Peretti writes novels, he's brilliant once I read them I 
got the whole Ephesians 6.12. It made sense to me. But I read it in the novel. So Frank Berege wrote a book called The Oath. Where he talks about sin crouching at the door. And the whole book, if I remember correctly, uh, was about a little, little, um, little monster type creature. That uh, eventually became a terror. Because it was fed by the people's sin. If I remember correctly. I read this 20 years ago. I read that book. It was, uh, it was riveting. The kind of book you pick up and you don't drop. I mean, your work suffers, everything suffers. But what am I, why, why am I telling that story? Because of the analogy. You know, this thing was small and seemingly harmless. You could control it. But as it was fed, it became a monster. It's the nature of sin. If you don't deal with it, it will eventually destroy the person. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud, this is an amplified classic version, so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony of the, of the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance on necessary weight. And that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And then let us run with patience and endurance and steady and active persistence. The appointed cause of the race that is set before us. If we don't deal with that sin, um, the, the older translation will say that so easily besets us. But this is graphic. That so readily, deftly, cleverly clings to and entangles us. It will trip us up on the race as we run the appointed race for our lives. If we don't, it will... Judas must have had some issues with greed at a manageable stage. But he never dealt with it and the monster grew... To the point where it literally gobbled up his life. It was obvious that Moses had an anger issue. As a young 40-year-old man, he just killed somebody because he was angry. And buried the person in the sand and thought life could go on. And in hell, where they have massive computers that track Christians massive fast computers that store data. The computer stored the data. He has an anger issue. And they tracked him until the height where it was time to celebrate all his successes. He was now ready to lead them into the promised land. This is what he was designed for. And at that moment, they got him. You don't have to look too far into history. Just look at Will Smith. At the zenith of his career, four or five more films lined up for him. The night he's going to get his Oscar, there must have been something in him he hadn't dealt with. And all the demons of hell said, tonight, we're going to get you. And you know, Satan loves it when the fall it causes as much damage as possible. So there are some people with the sin in their life, with the monster growing, he leaves them. If you fall, 
who is going to know? Two people will know. Out of the two, one is a solid Christian. He, he's not going to backslide. The other one, they'll catch the other one. But he waits until you can, it can have maximum impact. And most people know what the sin, you know, the Bible says, so deftly and cleverly clings to you. That tells me that there's proximity. There's a close battle going on. If you ask most people, they know what it is. A low self-esteem, anger, jealousy, a caustic tongue, immorality of some kind. We know what it is. Let nobody kid you that they don't know. They know what it is. Fear. They know what it is. And guess what? The kingdom of darkness knows what it is as well. Number five. We learn from Judas that you just cannot afford to give the enemy a foothold. You just can't. It's the nature of this war. Luke 22 verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. John 13 verse 2, and this is the Passion Translation. Before their evening meal had begun, the accuser had already planted betrayal into the heart of Judas Iscariot. He'd already done it. He'd entered into him. But he can't enter if he does not have a doorway. He can't enter and stay there if he does not have a foothold. Literally, he comes to collect his thing. If he doesn't have anything, he can't come. There's no fear. What does Jesus say in John 14 verse 13? Verse 30. And I love this passion translation. It says, I won't speak with you much longer. For the ruler of this dark world is coming. But he has no power over me. For he has nothing to use against me. One translation says, he has nothing in me. He doesn't have anything in me. So it doesn't matter. He can, he can get all the hordes of hell. They can circle, but they can't come because they have nothing in me. So what does that tell us? That we must work hard to be at a place that has been granted us by grace where there is nothing in us. We don't have to earn it. We just have to submit to it. That's why the Bible says in James 4 verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when you understand grace, you understand that you don't earn it. It's not the number of days I've fasted. It's not the number of hours I've prayed. It's not how diligent with my tithing I've been. All those things are great. But that's not what earns us that place where we are protected because there's nothing that's found in us. It's already been earned for us. We just have to go in by submission. That's why daily we're yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God. Daily submitting to Him. Daily becoming less independent and more dependent on Him. Because when He comes, we don't want Him to find anything that is His. If He has nothing in you, Nothing of his in you, he can't come. 
But when he comes and sees some darkness, he's like those rats that, that run in the, in the sewers, scurrying around in the darkness. How many know that the best way to get rid of rats is to clean up the environment? Number six. Who do you go to, I ask the question, at your lowest or your weakest time? Matthew 27 verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Where did he go? To the chief priests and the elders. Where should he have gone? To the one that he's been with all this time. But he goes to the chief priests and the elders. Someone might say, but we don't, I don't do that. We don't do that. Yes, it happens a lot in the church. Where people deify men. Do you know some people think, if I can get to so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, overseer so-and-so, apostle so-and-so, archbishop so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, my problem will be over. No, if you can get to Jesus, your problem will be over. I'm sure I've told you the story of uh, Doc and I on a flight uh, to Nigeria many years ago. Many, many years ago. And we walked onto the flight. Doc, you were on that flight with me. Yeah. We walked onto the flight and there was this big man of God. Big man of God. Sitting in business class. And in those days, Doc and I didn't even dare to try it. So we walked to the back, 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 back of the plane. And we greeted him. And I, I, made, I, made, I said such a stupid statement. Please don't say things like this. I said to him, I said, ah, sir, now you're on this flight. I know we will arrive safely. Very, very puffed up. The man said, oh, yes, you will. Big man of God. So we went to our seats. The plane took off and flying across towards Spain, they started serving us some drinks and stuff. Suddenly, the air hostesses, who are not supposed to panic, I began to notice that they were frenzied. They're clearing up the stuff. And I was thinking, what's going on? I was so hungry that I gobbled all the, the snacks they gave. I just poured everything down, peanuts, everything, and drank the thing. Before they come to my, they come and take this thing, I'm so hungry. So we gathered eventually that the, a flock of birds had shattered the windscreen of the plane. And I looked out of the window. They were jettisoning fuel. When they start jettisoning fuel, they are preparing for a crash landing. So, Doc and I, I prayed. I begged God, okay, God, everything that I've done, all this sin, please just wipe it away. Just in case I'm coming, I cannot come this far and miss that heaven. So, I did all my repentance, everything, even the ones that only me and God knew. I said, God, please, please, please. That was between me and you. I beg you, God, just forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Forgive me, oh, forgive Aguriruku, please, please, God. And then I slept. I fell asleep. It's true. You know, this is a true story. I fell asleep. I need to ask Doc what he did because I fell asleep. <laughs> so when we landed, um, they said they're going to bus us to hotels. Um, of course, you know, they were bussing us to, I think it was Travel Lodge or something, and they were bussing them to a plusher hotel. So I went to him. Now, when, when we passed, he had said to me, oh, he's the main speaker at a conference. 
in Nigeria. He was the main speaker, you know, and he kind of let us know I'm the main speaker at this conference. And you know, men of God, sometimes they have that voice that they try to do. I'm the main speaker at this conference. The anointing is following me there. <laughs> so when we landed, when we landed, I said to him, I said, so sir, what are you going to do? Are you, because they were putting us on the flight the next day. So I said, are you going to sleep in the hotel and come back to the flight? His voice had changed. He said, Aku, we almost died. I could see fear in his eyes. I said, so sir, aren't you going for the conference? He said, no, conference. At that moment, God spoke to me. That's who you put your trust in. Don't put your trust in any man. We can fake it. We can fake it. To talk boldly. Is, uh, talk boldly. The, the Lord will do it. He will do it. He will do it. I say he will do it. But you don't know what's happening at night. When some birds just come around my window and just flap their wings and I'm going. Hey, 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 hey. And I said, that's the man who was speaking boldly. Oh, no, 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 no. Some birds just flap their wings. You're shaking. That's who you put your trust in. Please put your trust in God, in Christ, not in any man or woman. Best of us are mortals. Lastly, remorse is not repentance. You know what the Bible says? It says he was remorseful. And what does his remorse lead him to, to do? To go and return the 30 pieces of silver. There's a lot of remorse. In the body of Christ. But there's very little repentance. And there's a difference. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. This is the Passion Translation. The Bible says, God designed us to feel remorse over sin. In order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. There's a godly repentance. And there's a worldly version of it. Godly repentance, you have a broken heart. The glib way, the casual way that we handle sin tells us that there's no godly repentance, no godly sorrow. We are not judgmental to the extent that we don't, ex we don't think that some of us fall into sin. Yes, you fall into sin, which means that you were trying to go on the straight road, but you fell. It was inadvertent. It wasn't planned, premeditated sin. It wasn't a lifestyle of sin. And when you fall into sin, a good sign is that the Spirit of God convicts you. And there is godly sorrow that leads to a godly repentance. It's not because you were caught. It's not because in your mental space, you know that that is wrong. It's a godly sorrow that goes to the depths of your being. The psalmist paints that picture for us in Psalms 51, that psalm of repentance. You get, you get the picture. This man is broken by what he did. He didn't just get up and continue. Can, just, just, just fall out of sin and continue. I mean, the irreverence is, is incredible. 
just continue like that? No. Something has gone wrong somewhere. Something is wrong. You just offload caustic bombs, acidic bombs from your mouth on your husband. Just, just cut him to pieces. And then when you finish, uh, what do you want for breakfast? No. You just killed him. You hit your wife. And then you're going out in the evening. Darling, won't you give me a kiss? No. I will more than a kiss. Just something wrong. Young lady, you can't just hop out of bed and hop into church. You can't. It grieves God. Where were you last night? Mm. So the psalmist says, sacrifices of God. Psalms 51 verse 17. I a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That's godly repentance. Your spirit is broken. Your heart is contrite. God looks at it. And the Bible says it leads to victory. Restoration comes. Rehabilitation. Promotion leads to victory. Because it is genuine. Can someone say amen? amen? Father, we thank you. And we bless you. Lord, let us learn from these lessons. Let's not just have a good time in church. But let this lesson shape our lives and our world. Genuine conversion. Genuinely giving our lives to Christ. Always starts with a repentance. And there might be someone in here or who's watching on any of our platforms who wants to repent. Uh, repent means turn away from, change what you're doing. You want to change that lifestyle. You want to accept Jesus and, and commit to a life where you follow him. If you're that person in-house, in-person here, or you're on any of the platforms. The Bible tells us what's actually happening. Is that his spirit is drawing you. There's a knocking on the door of your heart. But there's a matter of choice. You can choose not to open that door. Not to go with that spirit. But if you're in here. And you want to make that decision. You want to choose to follow Jesus. To give your life to him. You want to choose to join his family. He's invited you. Then why don't you Make that choice. Take that decision now. And if you want to, it's simple. Remember we said it's what you confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So if you want to do that, will you just say this simple prayer with me as you submit your life to him? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus Christ. I receive him as a gift into my life. The gift of salvation. Today, I repent. I turn away from a life that has not pleased you in any way. And I give my life to you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Receiving me as your son or daughter. 
I declare by this prayer that today I am now born again into your kingdom and your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And church, we should be celebrating those who have joined the family. Go on, we should be celebrating them. Uh, The Bible says there's a party in heaven going on. Hallelujah. Welcome to the family of God. 